In this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with Photo Joseph. We're gonna be talking about mobile content creation and the state of the industry. This is Twitter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today I have one of my best and oldest friends, oldest as in I've known him for a long time, not that he's an old man, although he is kind of an old, no. <laughs> Getting there, getting there. <laughs> Photo Joseph. I'll always be younger than you. <laughs> yes, you will. In some ways, my friend, in some ways. So, you know, you can have two cars and one may have more mileage. I'm just saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Where are my mileage with honor? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Welcome, welcome to the show, man. It's, good to, it's always good to have you on. How you doing? Thank you. It's, it's good to be back. It's been a long time since I've been on your show, so this is kind of fun. It, it feels exciting no, to come back on here. This is good. It has not Isn't been... No, PGH one launch wasn't that the last time I was on here. No, uh, we did. I feel like we. No, well, maybe that was it. <laughs> Speaking of old, or, <laughs> I, I, it, it was back in the, in the Truman era. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in twenty oh one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yes, yeah. all is well. Keeping busy, having fun. That's Need good. Fun. I'm, I'm doing building good. Companies, building empires. <laughs> building building companies and selling them and, and having a good time. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, awesome. we'll have to talk about that over beers. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk about that over beers when I come up in, uh, in Rager Studio. Um, yeah, I've been hearing that for uh, 12 years now. So let's hey, make it up here. Hey, uh, it's going to happen. I promise it's going to happen. <laughs> um, this interview, as we discussed, I wanted to focus it on mobile. Right. And there's a lot of lot of aspects of mobile. There's the there's the acquisition or the content acquisition side of it. And then there's the post production side of it. Right. So I want to I want to touch on both of those in this hour. Um, let's start with the acquisition side. You play with a lot of tools. A lot of these manufacturers will just send you stuff to look at and test and play with and do all the things with. Um, I buy my stuff. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I've purchased I've purchased over the last year. A an Insta360, um, the X2, I want to get the X3. So the Insta360, the DJI Pocket, both one and two, um, just upgraded my iPhone. So I have that, right? So I feel like I can do a lot of stuff in mobile right now. So here's the devil's advocate question. With all that stuff and all that capability, why would I still want to go to one of these cameras? Like, why would I, why would I want to lug something around that only does one thing, F-stops, shutter speeds, it's heavy, can't even talk to the internet. Like, why, why would I do that versus going straight mobile? Can't even talk to the internet. What is this? 2010? 2002? 1984? <laughs> I you know, I, I'm with you on that. It is a little bit odd how many modern cameras don't have any connection to the internet, don't have GPS built in, don't have any AI kind of imaging in them. And then you pick up your iPhone and it's got all of that. And it's incredible. No, I, yeah. there's no doubt. There's no doubt. The more traditional gear, I don't, you know, I, I do say, I, you know, I do say real cameras. I don't like to say that because it's kind of a stupid thing to say because obviously, you know, your iPhone is a real camera, but if I say that on this show, I don't mean it to be derogatory towards smaller cameras. I'm just used to working with bigger 
cameras. That's more my, my world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you want to know? Why you would use a big camera these days? Yeah, no, just the devil's advocate is why not. Yeah. I mean, we know why, right? The, uh, it's optical, yeah. right? I mean, you, you if you want that image quality, that low light performance, all the things, then you need some it's physics. You can't break physics, right? For, at least can't we don't think so yeah. yet. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. why you would go to the bigger one. But the other side of the larger cameras, and tell me, tell me if you agree with this, the other side of shooting with a larger camera professionally, some of it's theater, Right. Because you're not even though you could do a kick ass job at a wedding or whatever with your phone, probably, and maybe do it better than you could, depending on your skill level, than you could with a mirrorless camera. If you show up with last year's iPhone at a wedding or even this year's iPhone at a wedding that you're charging six grand for whatever, they're going to laugh you out of the room. So there's the theater, the theater part of it. Right. So I don't know. Where, where are sure. we? Is it ready? Is this stuff ready? Yeah. Well, okay. So to the theater part of it, I mean, yes, there is a degree of truth to that, of course, but also what you can capture as you know, and we all know, but what you can capture with the better quality lens, the better optics, the bigger sensor and so on, it does make a quality difference. It's not like they're basically the same. I mean, if you're talking about full daylight, uh, long, deep depth of field, and you're not looking for any kind of shallow depth of field, and there's not a whole lot of crazy motion going on, so you're not worried about bit rate, you're not worrying about bokeh, you're not worrying about noise in the shadows, then sure, you could put an iPhone camera next to uh, uh, you know any Canon, Sony, Lumix, whatever, and go, yeah, I mean, they look pretty much the same. It's when you start getting a little bit deeper into the pixels, or of course, when you start getting into the lower light, wanting that shallow depth of field, having a lot of movement on scene, you, got, you need that high bit rate, that's when you know those little cameras start to break down and so showing up to do a wedding if it's a, an outdoor wedding and you don't want any shallow depth of field then sure or people are willing to put up with the uh what, what's the portrait mode you know where it kind of it's it works well on me i got no hair the oh, portrait yeah. mode looks great on me you add a little hair and it's you know it's getting better but it's not the real thing it's you're automatically just, masked you know. joseph you have a perfect mask right, on exactly. you all the time <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but, you know, consider, I would say consider the audience, right? So we, people always use the, use the, uh, the analogy of, oh, you can't shoot a billboard or, uh, you know, like you just said, weddings, you know, if you want to get shallow depth of field and all that, then you got to get a proper quote, proper camera. But I would, what I would go back to saying is if you consider the audience, most of the photographs that we take are not going into a wedding album or going on a billboard. Most of them are going into a social media stream of some sort, maybe into a YouTube video or something like that. So smaller screens for the most part is the sure. ultimate destination for most of these things. So looking through that lens, why not use a smaller camera and then do all your post-production on the device, which that will be viewing the content ultimately. I don't know. It just seems like it sure. makes sense. What, what do you think? Am I, is that flawed thinking? It, well, I don't know flawed, but I mean, you're right that most people do consume it on that little screen. That is the way most people are going to see it. But though, you know, and, and specifically about the wedding and I'm not a wedding photographer, but you yeah, know, me I, you, I have been married, you know, I go through the experience. You do want that wedding book. You might want a few prints that you're going to hang on the wall, send to the grandparents, whatever. There's there's more to it than just looking at it on your screen. And if you're going to spend $10,000 on a wedding photographer, you probably want something more than a couple of JPEGs to look at on your iPhone. You probably yeah. want that nice album, that nice print on the wall. And that's where things are not to say you can't print a beautiful print from an iPhone camera, but it is not the same as a print that's coming off of a full-size camera with a much larger sensor. 
but but how many people are printing? Like I would say, if if Mark Zuckerberg has his way, nobody's going to be printing. You're going to be hanging out in the metaverse, <laughs> you know, looking at your digital NFTs on the sure. wall and doing all the things. Everything's going to be digital from concept to final delivery, sure. and nothing's going to be real for the most part. If you, I mean, if you fast sure, forward, it's not all about print though. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not all about printing, and it's not all about resolution. Even when it does come to printing, it's not all about resolution. You know, it is still, as you well know, and I know you're playing devil's advocate, but yeah. as you well know, it's there's still there's dynamic range. There's recovering those highlights. You know, you want to shoot a wedding dress in the sun. You want to shoot a, a couple in your traditional black tux and white wedding dress, and they're in the full sun. Good luck getting that with detail in the highlights and shadows on a tiny sensor. It's just you know you need a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's today. No, though, someone's shooting, right? I'm sure someone's out there shooting stuff on an iPhone. There's got to be somebody out there doing it, and they're probably charging a minimal price because, of, like you said in the beginning, kind of this expectation. But I would, I just don't imagine too many people be, being willing to hire a professional photographer who's just shooting it on their iPhone. It just yeah. seems a little seems a little bit of a stretch. I wonder. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And in, in, as we record this, it's late. It's November of 2022, right? So, but what about in 2025? Right. Or 2030. Are we going to see the the expectation of the larger camera being better somehow than the smaller thing that doesn't even look like a camera anymore? Is that going to be gone? Is that is that we're going to see attrition weed that out of the mindset of people that are buying photography? Right. At, at some sure. point, I would I would think I think the holy grail is, hey, you, you don't need to know how I'm making the sausage. You don't need to know what's happening in the kitchen. <laughs> you don't need to know what knives in the stove that I'm using as long as you enjoy this meal I prepared for you and you love it, that's all you should care about, right? Are we ever going to get to that point where Joseph could, Photo Joseph could show up at an event and, oh my God, it's Photo Joseph is here and he only brought a phone. This is amazing. I'm going to shoot everything with a phone from now on, right? So can we see that happening? <laughs> of course it's possible, right? And the tech is getting better and better. You know, we did. I mentioned in the beginning, why don't the big cameras have the AI that the little cameras do? The, right. the things that you can get off of a off of a tiny sensor and tiny lens of an iPhone is remarkable, and it's all because of the computing the computing power, right? The computational photography that's going into it is not has nothing to do with the optics and the sensor size. I mean, tiny bit, but it's it's all the computational. Whereas on a bigger camera, it's the lens, it's the sensor size that's going into that. Obviously, yeah. a lot more, but there is none of that computational photography. If manufacturers take that idea and put that into a big camera, well now. Now you're comparing the same kind of tech, but now again with a bigger optic, bigger sensor. I mean, God, at that point, you know what's possible? It gets really crazy. And of course, when you're bringing those raw photos or raw video into the computer, and you're doing the things that you can do in there that you just can't do with a JPEG, you can't do with an HEIC photo. You know, then you really start to push things. Uh, yeah. But we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see. And it's always that you know they're getting better, they're getting better, but it's not there. And what yeah. we can do on full size cameras is also getting better and better. And uh, and it's it's pretty remarkable, you know, that the dynamic range that you're getting out of modern sensors, the autofocus capability, the stabilization that's built in, all that stuff adds up to a hell of a package. All right, Joseph. So 
you know, it, it, of course, we have all these tools to create the content and presumably at some point in the future, I even heard MKBHD talk about this. He was talking about what is it with these camera manufacturers that aren't building smartphone type technologies into the cameras or what's to stop Apple from acquiring one of these camera companies and just decimating the whole, whole space. But that's all that's all, you know, that could happen in the future. Today, once you once you capture your footage, you can take it somewhere, right? So you can edit it in DaVinci or um, in LumaFusion. Um, you can edit it in uh, is it DaVinci Resolve, right? So DaVinci Resolve is coming out with the mobile version of that app. For mobile, that's right. Yeah, yeah, for mobile and a couple of other options that are out there. So the space is clearly getting better and better as processors get better and better. These these tools right. are coming because of the M1 and M2 processors. Before those showed up we wouldn't have had these mobile desktop class applications putting that in the in perspective from someone like you that does this stuff professionally professional content creator youtuber etc is it enticing for you to think one day that you're gonna go out and shoot an entire episode on your phone and then take that onto your ipad and edit it and publish it back up to YouTube directly from your iPad, no computer, no mirrorless involved, just all little tools that can fit in your satchel. What do you, what do you think? Are we there yet? Are we going in that direction? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're there for sure. And just to, to back up, to clarify, you said that you were talking about the M1 and the M2 made these things possible, but actually mm -hmm. LumaFusion by LumaTouch has been around for years and that, that was on old, much older iPads. I and mean, I was doing demos on that software probably I don't know, six years ago, maybe more, yeah. with 4K footage, editing 4K footage on an iPad long before the M was even even a glint in anybody's eye. So, but not, not with multicam though. Not with multicam. No, so. no not with multicam. Um, yeah. But so that's been around for a while. It's it's remarkable what it what the power that's in that app, and of course it's continued to evolve. Now to your specific question, I've done that. I mean, I have shot stuff entirely on iOS and then brought it out, uh, brought it into an iPad edited in LumaFusion and delivered to YouTube. I've done it before. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's not the same caliber as what I would have done shooting on the proper cameras. Now, shooting versus editing, two obviously different things. I can shoot on iPhone and edit in DaVinci Resolve, or I can shoot on a, a mirrorless camera and edit in LumaFusion. You know, two totally separate parts of the parts of the puzzle there. Yeah. For me, traveling, being able to edit on an iPad is awesome, absolutely. However, that said, for my particular workflow, I want to finish on the desktop because I have things that I do in, in regards to color grading, in regards to uh, sound audio finishing, effects, titles, things like that, that either you can't do on mobile or it would be kind of ridiculously difficult to do on mobile. And I would rather just sit down in front of a computer that's got a much bigger screen, dual monitors, a reference monitor, the big audio monitors and all that and just do the work there to do that final level. But I love doing at least a rough cut on mobile. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting because I'm I'm curious where all this is going because I if you if you look at the tea leaves, clearly it's moving that direction. It feels like um, you remember uh, what was it like 10, 15, maybe 20 ish years ago when 
no, it was like 15, 10, 15 years ago when iPhones started decimating the point and shoot space. Sure. Remember, you started seeing those numbers like, where's the point and shoot market? Where's all these little happy snap cameras that we used to carry around? Gone. And they got eaten gone. by Apple and, you know, yeah. Android. Right. So those things are gone. And I'm wondering, I swear, I wonder if we're on the precipice of something like that again, when it comes to just a reinvention of what it means to be a, a you know, maybe not operating at your level, you know, because you're doing broadcast quality stuff that you can you could easily do a hit to CNN and be perfectly normal. Right. But for the folks that don't need to do that. Right. You're doing sure. you're doing TikTok, YouTube shorts, you're doing, you know, blogging or short films just for fun. Those sorts of things. They don't need all that stuff. And there's millions of those people, billions, maybe. Right. So do those people. You know, and they're going to learn on this mobile stuff, right? So it's not like, oh, I can't do anything until I get to a proper edit bay where I can actually start editing. Those days are gone, right? You can, right. you can, you can create. Remember Blair Witch Project? Project? You remember that, shit, <laughs> yeah, that totally. movie? You could do that on your phone, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you're know, born bringing, too early. <laughs> bringing TikTok in that is it's a great and it's a great comparison because TikTok is not about producing the highest quality content possible. We're talking you know, camera quality, lighting, microphones, all that. It's not about that. It's about creating content originally on your phone and keeping it simple and a bit lower quality, a bit low brow. The, the, what makes TikTok content so good is literally the content. What are people doing, saying, singing, dancing, all that stuff. That yeah. is what makes TikTok so amazing. And the fact that if you actually try and produce something on a really good quality camera and put it on TikTok, it's probably going to get fewer views because people see that and they assume, oh, this is an ad. They're selling me something. Yep. This is not, yeah, this is a brand. This is not a uh, an organic thing that, you know, the guy down the street did that's super funny or super clever or whatever. So that's, that is very different. And yeah, if you're learning to edit on TikTok, that's, and on, in the app or on some other mobile app that you've shot everything on your phone. I mean, that's amazing, right? It's a great skill. Obviously, you're creating fantastic content, well, assuming that you are creating fantastic content people actually want to watch. But it, it is about what you're doing. It's not about the actual edit and the, uh, and the camera that you shot it on. Eventually, you might want to move that, those skills into something bigger. You might want to start working on you know, music videos or wedding cinematography or things for broadcast. Who knows, right? You might want to be working on something bigger. Those skills can translate over, but you're going to have to upskill your, your gear and your, uh, your editing software most likely to get beyond those basic functions. Yeah, I just wonder. I wonder if we are we're looking at the, the future through 2022 colored glasses, right? Sure. So, and what if that future, and I mean, we could see the, the, the writing on the wall now with the mistrust of, you know, mainstream media and news outlets and brands, you know, all these different celebrities, all this different, these different sources with a lot of money are, are trusted less and less going forward. And sure. we're seeing the, the rise of TikTok and YouTube shorts and the cinema verite style rough, you know, video as being more trustworthy because it takes a lot of effort to fake something that looks crap. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like built in safety. Right. You know, there's that would have been too much money to do that in After Effects. You know, it's it's got to be real. Right. So is that the future, though? I wonder, like, you know, in other words, like to piggyback on what you're saying, 
you know, this, this fictitious person that's like, okay, I'm going to start here using these tools and put TikTok stuff up there. And then one day I'm going to ascend to being able to do proper editing for broadcast and 8K and all the things. Right. What if that end goal over time becomes more and more it's TikTok or it's whatever comes next after TikTok? Yeah, a couple of things there. So I wouldn't, you use the word ascend and I wouldn't use that. I would yeah, say it's, yeah. it's, a tra it's a transfer. It's a transformation, something different. It's not that it's better. It's something different. And one of the key things you'll notice that when you talked about this, you mentioned TikTok and YouTube shorts and, and you didn't say it, but Instagram stories, same yeah. basic idea. This is all short form content, right? And it's wonderful to sit and watch a 30 second, 60 second, whatever TikTok video that is very kind of, it's all about the story. It's fast paced. It's fun. It's not great lighting. It's not great sound, whatever, but it's all forgivable because that's just, it is what it is, right? Yeah. But yeah. that is a short form thing. Are you going to watch a 30 minute long sitcom shot that way and edited that way? Are you going to sit through an hour long documentary, no. a two hour long feature film? No, there's a point where you're going, okay, this is, yeah, I, this is too much. I just, please calm down, slow down, give me some decent edits and decent lighting and decent sound. And that's, that's what's beyond the TikTok and not saying there's anything wrong with what TikTok. I love TikTok. I think it's a brilliant platform, but it is not a long form platform and or at least a long form format, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, I think to do that, you do need to kind of up the quality a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That the short form stuff is really interesting because it's, I remember I was in the military, as you know, and I remember thinking when I was going through basic training and some other exercises and things that we had to do that, uh, I remember thinking, I can put up with almost anything for a short amount of time. Right. Right. It's when right. it's extended and there's no end in sight is the worst. But if, if you know the date, you know, I just got to survive until this date. I'm good. But right. if it's just a short amount of time and it's uncomfortable or whatever, you can put up with that. So you overlay that thinking onto this TikTok stuff. You'll forgive bad audio, you know, cheesy jokes or whatever, because you're like, oh, this is going to be over in 10 seconds anyway. I'm just going to go on. <laughs> I'm going to go on to the next one versus a long form YouTube video like this one where you have to really be engaged in the content in order for you to hang in there all the way through. Right. right. Before people, you know, you look at my YouTube stats, they are people drop off right before they get to the, the very end, unless it's something really riveting like this interview. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, they'll drop off over time. But in those short ones, um, I don't do YouTube shorts or Instagram stories or anything like that yet. But I can imagine the 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 metrics of those is going to be completely different than than long form content. Is that been your right. your experience? Yeah, well, like you, I really don't do much in there. I've mm. I put a couple of shorts up, and I don't know. It's just it's a whole. I can't do the just grab my iPhone. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Like that is just so not me. Right, me I, yeah, it's yeah. not me. And so leave that to the folks to whom that is. When I <laughs> upload anything short form, it is a trailer for a longer form thing. That's the short form stuff that I upload. And it might yeah. be vertical even. You know, I've got, so I take, I'll make like a 15 second trailer out of something. I actually just uploaded one today for a recent video that is a 15 second vertical format trailer cut out of the full length 16 by 9 uh, original. And that's fine. You know, that's good for me. It's something I can put up on Twitter or wherever, and people can watch that and get a taste of what the video is and then click through to watch the whole thing. But, um, but shooting that kind of traditional TikTok thing is just, it's not me. It's yeah. just not me. And I, I'm not going to force myself to do something that I'm not. I have plenty of other stuff to do. So, right. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. And these tools keep coming on fast and furious. Like we yeah. said, DaVinci Resolve is coming out um, with a mobile version. Um, 
Luma Touch, uh, makers of Luma Fusion, have been threatening to come out with the multicam version for a while now. So hopefully sure. that's imminent. Uh, there's just all, you know, we've got, you know, it's, that's just on the video side. On the photo side, the apps are equally amazing, right? right. So I look at those, and I'm like, if I had this when, when I was a photojournalist in the Air Force, if I had this tool, I would have been, you know, my backpack would have been way much lighter. <laughs> than, totally. Everything would have been different, right? No satellite uplinks, none of that crazy stuff. I don't know. So put on, put on your, your Nostradamus hat, right? You kind of look like him a little bit right now. But you put on, your put on your Nostradamus hat. Looking forward, we're 2022 right now. Let's say seven years from now. Where, where would you like things to be in this mobile world? Software side and hardware side. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's see. So, all cameras getting some sort of of uh, of AI computational photography. I think yes. that's. I, I would like to say it's inevitable, but I know we've talked about this for literally decades, and it hasn't happened yet. So it's a little nope. bit odd. But um, let's just say that that is probably the least likely but most desired thing to see. So that's first. Um, internet connectivity for cloud-based editing for everything so that everything can go to the cloud. And I know that obviously with bigger files, if you're shooting ProRes or RAW or something like that, we're talking video here, then clearly that's a huge amount of bandwidth, but you know, 5G is here now and then whatever the heck is next is gonna be coming next and it's just gonna get faster and faster. We're already seeing camera to cloud systems that you can shoot in the field, put a separate hardware device onto your camera. Uh, you know, Atomos is now involved with this and actually literally push a version of your video to the cloud so an editor, remote editor can start on it right away. So that sort of thing getting adopted all the way down to the point where it's built into the cameras, fantastic. Like we have it now essentially built into the iPhone, but yeah. talking about building it into bigger cameras, fantastic. And then cloud-based editing, but I think a lot of that is gonna start being AI. It's just gonna be automated. You put it up there, you put, you know, basically make a, like a rough story together. This is part one, this is part two, and then let the software figure it out and I'm sure you'll go in and finish it up later. But I see that coming where you've got I don't want to say very little editing to do, but less editing to do than you do now. Just let it be automated. Let the AI come up with a, a basic format for it. And I think that's going to be happening sooner rather than later. Yeah. And we're, we're kind of seeing some of that now with uh, with Insta360 and the, like DJI with the pocket. They have those different right. modes where, you know, just shoot this kind of shot, shoot that kind of shot, shoot this, right. put that, and then we'll put it together with all the music and transitions and all that stuff. So you're Right. Saying, and that's more you, template based, but I yeah, can see it yeah. being where you're telling a story. I'm doing a product review. You know, I'm going to review the new AirPods and I'm going to do an unboxing and I'm going to talk about the quality and do all this stuff. And I'm shooting with a couple of different cameras and it all just goes to a cloud automatically. And then an AI goes, boom, here's your, here's your rough cut. Uh, where do you want to go from here? Yeah. And, you know, why not? And you could, you know, I could even see where you're saying this part of the story, I want to actually move that over here later, but I recorded it here. So there's not a good transition. Maybe the AI can figure that out. You can figure out it knows what makes a good transition from scene to scene. It's analyzed tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of episodes of sitcoms and dramas and horror and, you know, all this stuff. And it knows, okay, we're, we need to kind of flow this direction. We're going to find the words and even rebuild the words. You know what? You never said, Next, we're going to talk about how the AirPods sound. But you said all those words, and it can rearrange them and go, well, here it is. Here's a, yeah. We're going to put a B-roll shot up of the AirPod, and we're going to roll that sentence over it that we just rebuilt, and boom, off you go. Totally possible. Completely yeah. foreseeable. 
now. Yeah, I could see, I could see, you know, in that future, you're using that app of the future. Just call it roughcut.ai or whatever, right? So, right. so you're using, hold on, I'm gonna, yeah, go, I'm gonna register that right now. Uh, yeah, go get it, go get it. <laughs> um, but you're using that app and you, you can give it a bunch of footage. You can say, yes, please edit this in the style of Alfred Hitchcock or Steven Spielberg or or Quentin Tarantino or whatever and have it apply that that style color grade and editing sensibilities you know rough jump cuts or Guy Ritchie right do that kind of thing right you could do all that in the future <laughs> So. Sure. So we still got to shoot it and light it, but yeah. Well, yeah, I'm oversimplifying it, but yeah. Especially yeah, if you started yeah. out like that. If you started out with, you know, I'm going to shoot an Alfred Hitchcockian type short and you lit it like Alfred Hitchcock and you got sure. all the base materials and then you give it to the AI to finish for you, right? So yeah. I don't know. I can see, yeah. that, I can see that happening. Exactly. Yeah. But let's let's talk a little bit about what's happening now and yeah, with the cloud you mentioned yeah with the cloud and you mentioned davinci resolve coming to the ipad which we all yeah. learned whatever in the last keynote a month or so ago and that's all we know that's all anybody knows press release went out that day and just basically said yeah you you saw davinci resolve on the ipad it's coming before the end of the year that's basically it mm -hmm. but how that ties into the black magic cloud system which is here today and that's something which that you've I'm used you've i'm using Yes. You're using it. You're not just testing it. You're using it as a user, right? Which is different than, yeah. yeah. So what do you think? I is signed it here? Up. It's amazing. Yeah. I signed up on day one when Grant announced it and it was still in beta. I actually, so signed up for the Resolve Cloud, the uh, Blackmagic Cloud and put installed Resolve 18, which was, you know, an early beta version and finished and delivered a client project before NAB. And at NAB, I was talking to my friends at Blackmagic and they're going, you delivered? You're the first person that we've heard to do that. So I may have been the first person to nice. deliver a project to a client <laughs> on the new system. And it was, you know, it was rough in the beginning. It was in beta. It had bugs. It had issues. And I've actually been working quite closely with Blackmagic over the last several months. I've got the uh, the cloud store, the Blackmagic cloud store installed in the studio. And it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's not flawless. There are still a couple of, uh, not even bugs. It's more about just, you know, some things that it could do a little better. But we're working on all these things. And it is, it is phenomenal. It is well, so for those cool. that don't know what it is, explain the basic premise of, or the value proposition for this. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a two-part system. So the DaVinci Resolve 18 allows access to Blackmagic Cloud. And for Resolve's portion of it, it is storing the database, which is where you uh, all of your projects are stored, your timelines and everything else. Um, it stores them in the cloud. So you've got, if you're used to Final Cut, you have a Final Cut library, um, Premiere, I don't know what they call it, but whatever, same idea. You've got your core thing that stores everything. And then inside of that within Resolve, so, and that is your database in Resolve. Inside of that, you have projects. And a project you would typically make for every, every project, like the name implies. You know, for me, I'm doing it for every YouTube video that I do. That's a new project. Boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And that is stored in the cloud. Okay, so what's the point of storing it in the cloud? Well, the point is collaboration. So I actually work with a couple of remote editors, and they're scattered around the world, and they all have access to the exact same project. And depending on whether you turn on multi-user or not, we can actually be in the same project at the same time. I can see a little icon of where my assistant editor is currently editing. I can open up the same timeline because they're editing it. I can't edit it, but I can see that they're working on it. And there's a little refresh button every time they make a change. So I can hit that button and I can see exactly what they did. It's not like full on real time. I see them dragging things around. It's not like timeline. Google Docs. It's not like Google it's Docs. Not, right? I can it's not see quite you. that Google Docs. Yeah. Yeah. But I can literally every time they 
make a change, I'll get a little refresh, I can click that and I can see what they've done in there. So that is the, the resolve portion of that. Of course, anybody who's edited before goes, okay, well, what about the media? Well, you know, you got to have the media to be able to do this. Yeah. We can't be editing all this, you know, crazy ProRes, whatever raw media over the cloud. So the way that works, and this is this is where the hardware comes in, and you don't have to do it this way. This makes it easier if you do it this way. But where the the Blackmagic hardware comes in is the it's called the um, the the cloud store. Sorry, name escaping me for a moment there. The cloud store. There's three versions of it. There's the really big one. Then there's the middle sized one. It's called the Cloud Store Mini. That's the one that I have, and that's an eight terabyte service. And then there's a tiny one that actually you plug in your own drive to, but it is a much slower version of it. So it's it's kind of hard. I, I'm honestly not quite sure exactly where that fits into most workflows. But the Cloud Store Mini is the one that I have. It is a uh, it's a NAS network attack storage that you know just sits in my rack. Although it's just a tiny little box, I've just got it sitting in the rack, and I'm editing from that over 10 gig Ethernet. So I've got a 10 gig Ethernet system set up, and I can stream, you know, I do regularly ProRes, 4K ProRes, uh, multi-stream, six streams all the time. That's kind of my normal workflow, five, six streams of ProRes, and that's mm -hmm. streaming over the 10 gig connection, no problem at all. It's probably using maybe two-thirds of the bandwidth if even that. So that's just the NAS part of it. But where the cloud part of it comes in is there is a system in Resolve where it will automatically or manually, up to you, generate proxies. And those proxies can automatically sync to Dropbox or to Google Drive. And once those proxies are there, your remote editor now points at that folder of proxies that synced on their Dropbox and they go, there's all the, all the files. And Resolve says, oop, it's just the proxies. Okay, it connects to that. And it shows you the proxies and they are now editing on whatever proxy format you've decided to upload. So for me, I'm doing everything ProRes 4K to start. So I do all my proxies in uh, half resolution, so 1080p, and well, it's actually quarter resolution, but half size, you know what I mean, yeah. in uh, HEVC. So it's very efficient. My assistant editor's on a, uh, an M1 Mac, and so it handles the HEVC beautifully, and they edit smooth as butter on 1080p footage that's high bit rate, it looks fantastic. And then when I open it, I'm looking at the full original 4K footage. And that back and forth is glorious. And the way it's set up is super simple and straightforward. I go project by project. I can say sync this project or make proxies of this project and sync it to this folder on Dropbox. And then when we're done, I just go into the software and I say, throw away the proxies. We're done with them. Desync this from Dropbox and it erases everything from Dropbox and move on to the next project. And it's okay. Amazing. I have questions. I have questions. Okay. okay. So I get it fundamentally. I'm having trouble understanding what that, what that NAS box is for. Why wouldn't I just take all the files, you know, or generate, why can't I just generate those proxies right. and put them on Dropbox or Google, Google Drive and have per, my editor in Lithuania or whatever connect to that Dropbox and keep going that way? Why do you need a piece of hardware to make it happen? Sure, you, you absolutely can. What the hardware offers you is a level of automation. So in addition to the NAS storage, but let's mm -hmm. say you don't care about the NAS storage, you're just gonna keep everything locally, you gotta raid, whatever, and you wanna do the same thing. You absolutely can still do that, but you're not gonna have the the automation of automatically syncing proxies and automatically syncing non-proxyable content. So that would be your audio files. There's no proxies for audio. So the original audio files need to get synced. Your graphics, your PNGs, stuff like that needs to get synced as well. And so it can't just say, oh, dump all the proxy footage up because that's not enough. That's not everything. You need right. everything. And what the cloud store does is it is smart enough to know 
what is proxyable and it makes proxies of that, what is not, and then sync the original of that up there. So they do actually have everything that they need. You can still do that without the cloud store, but you have to do it by hand. So you'd have to manually copy these things into a Dropbox folder. It's a two-way sync as well. So if my assistant editor goes, oh, I found this cool sound effect to use and they drop it on, they're going to put it into that folder in Dropbox, it's going to sync back to my NAS and it's automatically there ready for me when I open it. How long does this, how long does this take, like say for a, I don't know, an hour, like if I'm editing this project right here that we're recording right Mm -hmm. now, it's going to be roughly an hour ish or so all in. Give me that workflow. How long would it take to get this, get the footage up there, you know, get it on Dropbox, get the proxies generated and then have the, whoever's editing it. This is just one stream of video, right? So, yeah, and it's yeah. 1080p. Say, so, say it was I mean, multiple. It say it was multiple. Say, yeah. Say we yeah. had. Say we're so, streaming so 4K, stuff, and there's three yeah. shots. There's there's R2 shot. There's the one shot. There's this one shot. Sure. Right. If we're doing that, how how is that yeah. going to work? It's all 4K, and you captured all ProRes. I mean, obviously, it depends on your machine and how fast it is, but it might take 20 minutes to convert everything over to. Um, oh shoot, my wife. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> Give me a second. Sorry, we have to cut that. Um, yeah, I'll pause. All right, you're live. So let's let me take it from the perspective of what I do in my projects, right? So I'll shoot three, four, five, six multicam angles, sometimes a screen recording that is rendered out as ProRes and so on. Typically for me, I don't do the proxy until I've got everything organized and I'm starting to work on it myself and I go, okay, I'm ready to go. So I might have, you know, 20, uh, 20 gigs, 30 gigs, 50 gigs worth of footage and I'll just hit make proxy. It might take 20 minutes, it might take a couple of hours. It depends on how much stuff is there. Um, you know, it's, it's happening on a Mac Pro, so it's pretty quick. But obviously, it just depends on how much you have. And then as far as syncing time, well, that just depends on your up- upload. It's just, uh, you know, those 1080p 5K uh, HEVC files are quite small. So those are going to upload pretty quick if you have a decent Dropbox connection. I've okay. synced quite large projects in the space of 20 to 30 minutes uh, through Dropbox. And of course, if you just kind of let it go just leave it on and as you drop stuff in it automatically renders the proxy immediately which is what i do once i've got all the basic structure and i just leave it running then every change happens within moments and then it's up there and ready for the editor it's impressive wow, wow. yeah so so theoretically i could take this macbook pro m1 that i'm on right now i could take this to starbucks after all that magic has happened could i yeah. take this computer away yeah. from the away from the nas the you know the black magic nas and sit down 100%. and continue editing and have everyone else see the changes that are happening yeah. and i'm just connected to starbucks wi-fi or tether yep. or something that's exactly what i do i'll take my laptop home and i'll do some editing on the laptop using the proxy footage same thing wow wow okay okay yeah yeah that's yeah. a big deal that's a big deal and then i wonder how all this is going to work into the mobile side too right so if they come out well with... that's where the yeah, the <laughs> ipad version is going to make that really interesting right yeah. because you're lightweight files you know you have limited storage yeah. on these devices so that makes sense and now i can sit in front of the tv with my apple pencil and drag clips around and do all the things let's let's wrap this up man um uh yeah, there's so much to talk about with mobile. We have to continue this. We can't let it be another 15, 20 years before we have one of these touch-ins. Um, if people want to contact you or get in touch with Photo Joseph, what are you, where's your roam? You know, I talk to photographers. Some say, yeah, just hit me on Instagram. Some have a blog. Some have whatever. What, what's the Joseph area? Sure. Well, the way to see my content, of course, is YouTube. That's, that's the everything for content. So YouTube.com slash Photo Joseph. And the best way to just reach out to me is on Twitter. That is my biggest platform for sure. Even even though Elon is taking over now, I'm still <laughs> I love Twitter. 
And then it's sad that you, it's sad that you have to apologize now, right? It's I like know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, a little yeah. weird. It is fun watching uh, the the madness unfurl. It is fantastically. Interesting. You, you just like you like watching it because you're not in it. You know what those those Twitter employees are going through, right? Oh now. my god, yeah. I listened to a podcast for the interviews with the Twitter employees where they had actually because the employees were still employed at that moment, they didn't know if they would be tomorrow or not. The interview was completely transcribed and then read by a speech to text, uh, text to speech, yeah. so that no one could recognize their voice. Uh, yeah, it's it's a disaster in there right now. But yeah, Oof, man, yeah. Well, love it while you can. Okay, well, good. So all roads lead to Photo Joseph, basically. If they just Google you, they can that's find right. you. Excellent. Photo Joseph, it is. Cool, man. Yeah, that's a good name. I like that name. That is really. <laughs> that is a really. <laughs> That is, I don't know. That was just a stroke of brilliance you had. It was a stroke of brilliance. You know, for anybody who wants to know why Frederick thinks this is so funny, they have to go watch his video from, I guess, a week ago where you announced the the new uh, This mug mug acquisition? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to watch that, and all will be revealed. All right, Photo Joseph, we'll leave it right there, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We'll have to do this again and dive. There's like a million different topics that we could talk about. I'm looking at your website right now. And, uh, you know, there's any one of these videos that you have posted up there we could just talk about all day. So I will make a list. I will make a list and reach out and we'll continue it. On with your day. Go do your stuff. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you, man. This has been great. Thank you. Good seeing you, bud. Take care. All right. Take care, Joe. This is Twitter.